Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians, and welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring magic back into our lives with episode 8, Garden Variety Homicide. Written by Jay Gard and Alex Raymond and directed by James Conway. IMDb is giving this an 8.0. The critics say, trading out one apocalypse for another, the density of each episode is making it feel like we're getting two seasons for the price of one. Plus, plans are being laid for Alison Quentin's world-building seed, a glorious reference from the final entry in Lev Grossman's trilogy, The Magician's Land which builds enticingly on a nod to the character from the book in the form of Hamish Bax, who is quickly growing on us. That's a fun play on words. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, there's parts that I agree and disagree here. I've actually been feeling as though the plot line is becoming even more scattered. A couple of the articles talked about how they're starting to weave things back together, which would make sense because we're moving into the latter half of the season. I didn't really feel that in this episode. It still felt pretty split to me, although we're down to two big storylines, the one going on at Breakbills with Alice, Hamish, and Penny, and then the one in Fillory with everybody else. But where's Katie? And Zelda. And Plum, Chadwin. It's curious. We're at episode eight, so we have five more. I mean, there There's is... still time. There is definitely time, but I just don't feel it happening yet that we're linking these two things together or we're starting to tie in loose threads. It still kind of just felt like bouncing back and forth to me. Now, it was interesting, and the Breakbills plotline definitely held my attention the entire time. I feel really bad for Penny. I don't know how many things we need to heap on top of the pile of shit that Penny's dealing with this season. Yeah, and now, apparently, he's going to have the fungi in him forever. Right. So What's that going to do? I mean, really great plan, guys. There wasn't anything better we could think of. However, it's going to be really hard for me to walk this fine line. This episode, the critics were talking about it here, so I'll follow along with those footsteps. By sheer coincidence, in the closer look section of last episode, we started talking more about Hamish Bax and thus about this drawing that we saw in the book that Quentin actually brought to him of an exotic plant. In fact, they use a lot of the same wording, we'll talk about it when we get to that section, pulled right from the magician's land when they're speaking about it. And we didn't plan that. We were just giving some background on Hamish Bax, and it wound up coming back around this episode. I didn't realize the full weight of what they were doing with it until this time. And I'm watching it. I'm going, this feels really familiar. Does this come right from the books? I think it is, in fact, a huge setup for where they're going with the rest of the season. I think in typical magician's TV show fashion, it's going to be a remix of what we got from the books. But getting some hints of where that could be going, I am a lot more excited about the rest of the season than I have been before now. Oh, that's great. And I'll be able to still come up with theories because I haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. The plant will become Quentin. Yeah, we're going to talk about that more (laughs) in our closer look section. Get into this plant a little more with some information from the books. That will contain book spoilers and potentially spoilers for the rest of the season if they use it. So we'll give you a warning before we get there. Now, how does this tie in with Fillory? What's going to happen there? I'm not really sure. I'm starting to get an inkling, but I still don't really know what the Dark King is about. They leave us on this cliffhanger that the group thinks they killed him, but he comes back to life at the end of the episode. We continue to have empathy for him. Oh, yeah, they piled it on. Even Margot was a believer for a moment. And this critic's article said, man, they really proved us wrong this episode that we thought the Dark King was all bad. We've never thought the Dark King was all bad. No, we knew that he most likely, unless the knowledge of our magicians was wrong, most likely he has done bad things. But we were hoping there's maybe a reason. And we saw the good in him while remaining careful. Well, and he still keeps it pretty vague. He says he engaged in this conduit. We still don't know what that is. It turns out it's not the tree that the group thought it was, but he did that because he thought it was the only way to save Fillory. As we had conjectured, his intentions seem good. For whatever reason, he feels like he has to maintain being king in order to keep that going. We just don't exactly know the details or why that happened, where that's going to leave our group. But I think that is going to make sense pretty soon. Well, before we get to our plot, let's talk new faces, places, and magic. We had Raylan or Ray, 
the botanist and taxonomist who has traveled the multiverse and been to dangerous locations. He had a brief but important appearance here as really the host for these fungal spores that are going to spread over the course of the episode. In a manner that Arjun himself called their horror episode. Hmm. Which was cool. It was like zombies. Yeah, that's what they said, right? They also talked about a person, people, a thing, we don't really know, called the couple. They're supposedly powerful, bad people tracking the plant page. They've been after it for a long time now. And they think they're just going to keep coming. (laughs) Them and probably a lot of others. So moving on to new magic, we just get that it's a type of fungus which can merge consciousness with other creatures. And its consciousness is human-like in the sense that it's limited. It can't spread itself too thin. We know that feeling. (laughs) Then we have the world seed, the really big part of the Break Bill's plotline this time. This is a magical botanical organism whose seed is pure potential, according to legend, and can grow into anything, even a world, with proper nurturing. And why did Quentin have it? I can't talk about that. Okay. Because I know. Okay. But you can have some guesses. It sounds like Alice was correct. This was really important to him. I don't know how she knew that, just getting the page. I think initially she was just grasping at straws. She wanted something to feel connected to Quentin. But the more information they were getting about the drawing of this plant, the bigger it started to seem. But a seed that can grow into absolutely anything, including a world, that's insane and would make the possessor of it... Powerful. Powerful. I would ask it to grow into a money tree. I don't need another world. <laughs> Just give me a money tree. How about an anything tree? Like anything you want. It'll I wonder if it could do that. Huh. Kind of like the Anywhere Key Yeah. from Lock and Key. And with proper nurturing. So I wonder what that means and if the circumstance calculator that Alice has is going to come back into play. Can you even grow it here on Earth? Because we surmise the plant itself is not from Earth. Mm. So would proper nurturing mean we have to have it in a location where it can thrive? There's a lot of questions there. But moving on to our magic and fillery, we got the vitality conduit. Josh tells us it's an old naturalist ritual that draws life force and connects the person to something in nature. Now here they assume the Dark King is connected to the Blackwood tree because of his tattoo. Either that's false and the conduit is to some other object in nature to another person, another thing, really a conduit could be anything, or this isn't the whole story. Most likely it's just not the whole story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't really seem to affect the Dark King at all. He was able to come back to life unless there's something we're going to find out missing from his powers now that they severed that. Next, we got the swap potion that Margot came up with that allowed the two of them to switch bodies for the episode. And finally, Red Monkey Month. And that's really just a concept. We haven't seen a lot of it, but it's brought up here that everything moves faster during this time in Fillory. Crop growth, healing, and it turns out, pregnancy. I watched a video where Maeve was talking about how she called the producers to let them know that she was pregnant. And after a couple days, they called back and said that we're going to write it in. And remember, we talked about this at the top of the season. I was wondering how they'd be able to hide it and for how long. So they did do a great job hiding it. But I guess as the months go on, of course, she's going to get bigger. Well, the that's what I said. I wonder if it'll come into the storyline at some point. And it does. That's pretty awesome. But this pregnancy makes last episode more intriguing as far as the fight with her and Penny. Well, yeah, this is going to be an ongoing thing. We would assume he's going to find out at some point, right? If she does, in fact, need some more time to ponder this, it's going to mean she has to leave Fillory. She has to let go of this quest. And I think that's what her and Fen are talking about, the decisions she's going to make. Where does she want to go with that? Okay, let's move into our plot and start out with everything that happened at Break Bills. To begin, Alice brings the greenhouse circumstance panel inside so she can study it. During the previously on, we got a better look at those dials, the readouts that are on the machine. And it seems it is, in fact, the tertiary circumstances, because we had one for age, position of Pleiades, altitude, moon phases, and body of water. Hamish is fixated on his plants dying, and in a fit, he locates the drawing of the plant. He can't place it because it's not terrestrial. But he does know a taxonomist who's been around the multiverse. His name is Raylan, and he's a botanist on the Dean's Do Not Admit list. He's visited a world called Anansia that's home to highly infectious items. So Penny doesn't want to allow him into the school. He's thinking this is a risk they really don't need to take. But when Alice explains how important it is to her that she found the paper in Quentin's desk and she wants to figure out why he had it, 
He reluctantly agrees to go along, provided they thoroughly test Ray to make sure he's clean. Now, apparently, thoroughly testing him was not really enough. (laughs) No, I would have him in quarantine. I would do every (laughs) test imaginable. But they even said that all of their tests would not pick up on the fungi. So Mm -hmm. it didn't matter. But I wish Penny, you know, once again, Penny should have followed his gut. Well, that's what he says later, right? Well, Ray arrives and tests clean, which is purple. Apparently, not clean would have meant he was shitting spiders. Yeah, I don't... That's a, that's a bad test. <laughs> <laughs> and he explains to the group that the drawing shows something called phylotaxis. This is the quote that pretty much comes exactly from the book, so I'll read you the magician's novel version. There, it's Hamish talking to Quentin. And he says, it's the way leaves are arranged around a central stalk. It looks chaotic, but it's not. It follows a mathematical sequence, usually Fibonacci, sometimes Lucas, but the leaves on this plant don't follow either one of those, which suggests that its origin is exceptionally exotic. The plant has a certain integrity to it that you just can't fake. So it's real, and it's from another planet. Asking for further supplies, including a spectral reactive phytometer, a Bertrick lens, and a Pamplemousse LaCroix, I have no idea what any of those things are. Something Ray is going to use. Alice goes to get them, but upon returning, she finds Bax unconscious and Ray trying to steal the page. They fight, and when she pushes him back, he falls over. A hole opening in the center of his body, and he starts leaking a dust-like substance we will find out are the fungal spores. This was a great reminder of how badass Alice is. Mm. She handled him quick. Closed the door with magic, locked it without thinking. And then when he was about to strike, she was right there ready and did an amazing push. She says, I don't know what happened. I just knocked him over. (laughs) He shouldn't be dead. But Bax explains that a few fungal species have been known to join their consciousness with other creatures. Ray must have merged with the fungus a long time ago. And while he is dead, the spores that came out will want a new host body. It's then Penny tries to evacuate the school while they figure this out. But the spores have already spread to two students who threaten them to return the page. And Hamish realizes this fungus can spread to multiple hosts. You know what I like about Hamish? He's quickly becoming part of the group and a really fun addition. What I like about him is, this is a weird analogy, but it kind of reminds me of Jumanji and how each character in the game has their skills Mm. and they need to work together utilizing their own skills. Hamish is the one that knows all this background. And it's coming in real handy, these specific episodes. He's like the zoologist. Exactly. That's what I mean. He's like, (laughs) how do I suddenly know all of this about hippopotamus? I kind of wish they had taken this a step further. The idea of a fungal infection that's essentially airborne. These spores just travel from one host to the next. And now they're trying to infiltrate multiple people, making them sort of zombie-like is actually a scary proposition. But the next two scenes go by so quickly. First, the group goes to talk to Fog 17 in the clean room, and he tries to negotiate a solution in exchange for his release. Do you want to help or what? Yes, I can provide a solution in exchange for my release. How do we know you really have one? I developed a potion with a Dr. Maria Pilkin. You can check with her. But she died in this timeline. No deal. We'll find our own way. You cannot save your students without my help. See, in our timeline, Pilkin's work was published after her death, so it's in her library. Gave away your leverage. Thought a dean was supposed to have strong instincts. Uh, Luckily, Alice knows this discovery was published after her death, so they don't really need him. It's wrapped up kind of quickly and leaves me wondering why... Did they even bring Dean Fogg back into this situation? We had surmised the purpose of the plot line, keeping him in the clean room, is because he's going to come up again. They're going to need his knowledge about something. What I can think is that this is just a teaser to let us know how dangerous he actually is and will be. Now that I don't know if I like, though. We have seen that the other versions of each person, while different throughout each timeline, some in smaller ways, some in larger, depending on what's happening to them, at their essence are kind of the same. Would we have a really bad, evil Dean Fogg, regardless of what happened to him? I agree. As they leave, he says, I'll I'll turn you into lobsters and eat you. That was very dark, very unlike Dean Fogg. Now, again, like you said, I know this is a different Dean Fogg, but every Dean Fogg grew up the same way in every timeline. It's that the time when it differs is with the beast. So that's not going to change you into a scary bad guy, quote unquote. It may change you 
to do things that are darker or that are, okay, bad, that are atypical of your Dean Fogg, but it's not going to make you a murderer or dark, you know? I guess the, the basis they have for this, they've established that Quentin became the Beast in one of the timelines. Yes. So... Oh, are you saying he's the Beast? Well, no, I'm saying if he could turn dark in that way, there's precedent established for it, that if it's bad enough what you go through, maybe that seed is always there, but I I think on a base level of humanity, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that due to life circumstances, you could take such a divergence. I don't see it in fog, at least, you know? I mean... But it may be explained. It, it has to come down to the one thing that's truly important to you. And the one thing that really always mattered to Fogg was break bills and the students. He lost that in his timeline. And he, all he has left is his daughter. So he's willing to, I guess, do anything. I, I suppose so. But I can't believe it would be to the point of killing his special magicians, mm. you know? Yeah, that's really hard to reconcile. And I'm hoping the latter half of this season will bring our version of Dean Fogg back so they can have a reckoning. He mm. can kind of face himself, be like, what are you doing? Is there an episode called like Twinsies or something? <laughs> this, this isn't us, man. So we see that scene ends with Fogg saying he will escape and get revenge. Then up in the library, Alice steals the book they need, but attracts the attention of the host guards. Penny knocks one out and they get the information from him, creating a potion so they can test it on him. It works to expel the spores, but they go into Penny. Realizing the spores have networking ability and can direct their target, Hamish tries to work out a solution. He shares the loss of his wife Isabel with Alice and advises that grief will always be hard, but will get quieter with time. I like this scene because it brings Alice and Hamish closer, and I think they play well off of each other. I enjoy seeing them together on screen, but also it opens up the idea to Alice of the next move. Mm-hmm. I hate to be a broken record, but who does Alice not play well off of? We have really enjoyed this season alone, seeing her on a quest with Elliot for the two of them to resolve some of their grief over Quentin, Mm -hmm. paired up with Zelda, who the two of them have always been fantastic in the past. Now with Hamish and also getting some interactions with Penny, I continue to enjoy every plot line they send her on and thinking that I see how this will weave into the end game. I'm really excited to see how Alice factors into that. She plays so well off of other characters because she's a straight character. So other characters, even if they are a little more straight than others, they have more room to get a little more out there. When I mean straight, I mean very serious, Mm -hmm. very down to earth. So you can have a drunk Elliot who's emotionally distraught and a little bit all over the place playing off of the straight Alice. Your psycho Fog 17. Yeah, it just works well. Now... What's interesting, though, Hamish is more of a down-the-middle, temperament-wise kind of character, but another one of Alice's struggles from the beginning has been that she does possess an extremely high level of talent and emotional ability and intelligence. I think this often makes her feel separated from a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Hamish seems to come toe-to-toe with her in a lot of ways. He has a ton of knowledge. It's just about a different area than what Alice has, so... When they want to work together, they're able to team up really well. And now it turns out on an emotional level, he also can empathize with what she's going through. Absolutely. Well, next, laying a trap, Alice agrees to give Penny the page, well, spore Penny, in exchange for information. The fungus says the page is part of an instruction manual for the world world seed. seed. It's a magical botanical organism. Legend is, the seed is pure potential. The right nurturing, it can grow into almost anything. Even an entire world. So this is actually part of a larger book, presumably that tells you how to grow and nurture the seed. Alice admits they figured out the spores contain a consciousness that has limits and thus backspread them out so thin it won't be able to infect anyone else. It will, however, be permanently part of the host, but too weak to do anything. I mean, I hope so. Does that mean too weak to really cause Penny any problems? It's like when you get an infection and part of it just stays in your system so it can recognize... I think it's too weak to have control. Okay. It's just too spread out because it has its own conscience and it's splitting its conscience every time. Well, and at that point, the organism sort of exists within your body harmoniously. It's not doing you any harm. You know, it's it's just living in there. That's what I assume. I don't think this is going to come back into the storyline at all. Think of it as chicken pox once you've had it. Yeah, and I'm wondering, could it even do something good for him? 
when it comes to trying to figure out the traveling psychic problem. I would like to see one of those seeming curses oh, come back around to help him. I dig that. That's cool. You know, it can, in a sense, talk to and communicate with the others when strong enough the way a hive mind does. Mm-hmm. I could see a way where that teams up to help him with the psychic abilities once more. Okay. But that's a wild guess that doesn't come from the books. Well, if the Dark King's power comes from nature, from a tree, Mm. from a fungus on that tree or what have you, maybe Penny has the ability to fight it. Or enough to at least know what's going on. Maybe. Well, while the knowledge is fading, because there isn't much of the spore left in him, Penny does remember... There was this huge debt to pay. I don't know what for, but when the couple came to collect, we didn't... They didn't ask any questions. A couple of... No, the couple. Weird name, but I remember feeling scared shitless. The couple has power. It has resources. It's been looking for the world to see Paige a long time, and they are not good people. And they know I have what they want. I don't think that's going to be the last person or thing to come after it. What the hell is Coldwater doing with instructions to something so powerful? Yeah. I have no idea. It leaves them wondering, what the heck was Quentin doing with it? Leaves us wondering that, too. Hmm. I know I'm biased because Arjun Gupta is our best friend, and we hang out all the time, but I love his (laughs) acting. Oh, it's phenomenal, always. And that's complete honesty. Penny has always been my favorite character from the books, from the start of this show, the TV version of Penny. I really enjoy everywhere they go with the plot line. And I would like to see him and Alice kind of continue on a parallel journey. I think that's a good matchup. Well, let's change our sights over to Fillory. We open with six children being abducted by the Takers. Upon hearing the news, our group realizes the king purposely summons the Takers so he can fight them. Uh, Surprise to no one. (laughs) (laughs) Reasoning that they can't peacefully overthrow him, he has a centurion guard, 300 years worth of propaganda, and he's an immortal magician who has apparently survived seven assassination attempts. There must be big magic keeping him alive. The Dark King is immortal because of a conduit? Like a vitality conduit? Do we know what that is? Guess not. It's an old naturalist ritual. Draw life force from a stalk of corn to fight a summer cold. That sort of thing. Seb's immortality comes from corn. What about a tree? He had a tattoo of one with looked like maple leaves, only more jagged. You can just talk. Uh, That's a blackwood tree. Okay, so what if we locate the tree from Seb's tattoo and chop it down? Would that sever this conduit? In theory, yes. He would be mortal and 100% stabbable. What was so cool about that scene is is it felt as if they were our podcast. Like they were discussing it with us because Mm. those were the questions we had. He's been around for 300 years. He's got to be some kind of immortal magician or something is keeping him alive. And the fact that the king purposely summons the takers, which was our synopsis many moons ago, pardon the pun. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, so they got to figure out what is this weakness. And Margot thinks Elliot is perfectly placed as a confidant to get the information, but he has misgivings about being the one to assassinate the Dark King. In his mind, Charlton urges him to at least open up to Margot, and he agrees, confessing to her that he can't hate Seb and isn't sure he can go through with killing him. Now, this was hurting me, especially towards the end of this episode. But even now, I felt like we were getting somewhere with him, Mm. with the Dark King. Well, not now. After he finds the king drunk, I'm like, we're getting somewhere. Just give it some time at this point. What's the urgency? It's not like our crew knows that in a day the king is going to do this, which is going to stop every, you know. Well, no, but they do know that the apocalypse is impending in Fillory. Oh, right, yes. And they need to be in a position of power to figure that out. They can't be trying to deal with this Dark King nonsense. And I guess they figure the only way to do that is to assassinate him. Oh, for sure. I was just feeling like, oh, give Elliot some more time. Mm. Especially because we were about to get the answer, too, as as watchers. And we were like, oh, he's about to tell us. Well, (laughs) but he could have kept doing that with Elliot for a long time. Giving him little bits and pieces. He's not really telling him a lot. He's not. You're right. He told him just enough, but then he didn't give him the reason why. And in the meantime, he's stringing him along emotionally. This really isn't fair to Elliot. 
It's not going to wind up in a relationship. Anytime they get close, the Dark King pulls back, says it's a mistake. When Elliot tells Margot this, she promises if he just helps figure out what the weakness is, he doesn't have to be the one to take him out. She'll take care of it. It's next that Elliot finds the king drunk and upset and encourages him to think about stepping down. Do you think you could ever step down? I have to be king. You don't have to be anything. I could help you. Elliot, I appreciate your concern. More than I can say, this is my burden. I can't leave. Is it something we can fix? Uh, a spell or, or a curse of some kind? A choice I made a long time ago. Tied to a conduit. I thought it was the only way I could save Fillory. A conduit? What do you mean? It was a lifetime ago. So many lifetimes ago. This was great writing because now we were fed a little bit and we're like, mm, mm. <laughs> but now we're like, oh, vi vitality conduit, Blackwood tree. There's a reason, like we kept saying, there's got to be a reason we want to like him. Tell us there's a good reason why he's an asshole. Oh, so you didn't mean we were fed a little bit like we got to see the Dark King and Elliot make out? Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> that was I also pretty good. <laughs> we were fed information. <laughs> yeah, we get to see this tattoo it looks like it has some type of symbols or writing underneath the tree, though we're not quite sure what that is yet. The group deduces that if they severed the conduit to the tree, the king would become mortal and they would be able to kill him. So this is the plan they move forward with. As a worried Elliot pulls Margot aside, he hastily takes a swig from her flask, which turns out to be a swap potion, the best solution she could come up with. It will switch their bodies, but if they tell anyone, they will be permanently stuck that way. I like that, because it makes it that much more difficult if no one around can know. It sets up the stakes to follow with a bunch of really interesting scenes, ones that we were hoping for that uncover more of the emotional relationships going on here between Margot and Josh, that both she and the show have been avoiding a bit, and between Elliot and the king. It's also that moment that Margot realizes Charlton is living in Elliot's mind because <laughs> she can hear him now. And see him. Before splitting up, Elliot warns her to be subtle with the king, and she encourages him to just stay away from Josh. Try to avoid this relationship talk. Not very helpful. No, not at all. And watching the behind the scenes, Hale and Summer were talking about the switch and their acting, and the fact that they've been working together for five years now but also their friends outside of work. It was funny just seeing Hale talk about his depiction of her, and he was like, uh, I'm a little worried I, I went a little too SNL, you know, a little too over the top. But then as they discussed it and as they talked it out, he was like, but you, you know what, you're right. It was about having fun with the characters, and especially that initial scene when they're together and their first switch. He was like, we were told and we were able to just go all out. Just have fun with it. I think that first scene, they were trying to figure it out because Hale is a little too much, a little extra Margot in that first scene. And that's what Hale was saying. Margot doesn't really talk that way. She's a little more straight than the animated version he shows. And likewise, Margot, Summer Bischel, wasn't quite giving enough of the Hale Appleman Elliot. But <laughs> then as the scenes went along, and for instance, Margot's interacting with Josh, it felt a little bit more on point. For Absolutely. the characters. But we're going to break from that for a second because here is where we get some of the Julia Fenn scenes. Julia confides to Fenn that she might be pregnant and the bunny confirms it. Pregnant. <laughs> Not ready to tell Penny yet, Fenn agrees to keep the secret for Julia. But in a later discussion, she urges her to make a choice if this is what she wants. Julia admits she was pregnant before and it was a bad situation. She was worried if the others knew they would get worried and overprotective. She just wanted to take some time to process it first. First of all, I truly loved Brittany's acting in this. Oh, a baby! <laughs> and you can see, like, the adulation and pain that's occurring in her body at that moment. Mm -hmm. And throughout these scenes, it was very well acted. It's like when you're trying to be happy for somebody that's so great! <laughs> <laughs> but also... It's not like Fen, as positive and as kind as she is, she's not going to bullshit you. So I enjoy that she comes to her in the next conversation and says, you know, Julia, this is kind of a big deal. And a baby is 
a commitment. It doesn't have to be your whole life, but it is something that's going to mean a loss of control in other areas, i.e. you're probably not going to be able to just pick up and go after every apocalyptic quest and situation if you choose to have this child. So you might want to take a minute to actually process that. What do you want moving forward? And either way is okay, but you're going to have to come to that decision. Now, the wrench in the plan is she doesn't have as much time as she thought because as we mentioned, it's Red Monkey Month in Fillory. So she either needs to come to the decision quicker or go back to Earth where it will slow back down. Well, knowing that the actual human, Maeve, was pretty pregnant at that moment. She's not going back to Earth. (laughs) Yep. But also that makes me think, Red Monkey Month, everything grows faster. Now we have the world seed. We don't have the actual seed, but we are aware of it now. Mm. Well, if you need it to grow faster, Red Monkey Month. Now is the time, right? Yeah. So that might... But you'd have to bring it to Fillory. Right. No problem for our group. Bring it to Fillory. We don't have it, so maybe it is in Fillory, and we have to feed it or something. Or we have to find the couple and then take it from them. Well, we did mention in the books that when Quentin talks about this drawing, he's being a little shady about where it came from. Uh, You know, when he's talking to Hamish Bax, he's like, I can't really tell you that. So does he know that that's where it's from? You know, we don't know. That's something we can talk about later in our Closer Look spoiler section. All right, so now let's go on. First, we'll talk about what's happening between Margot and Josh. On their hike in the woods, Josh brings up the Fen situation, explaining it was a scary time when they thought they'd lost everyone, and he was hurt that she abandoned him to the past. He understands, but he needs to know if they're broken up now. It kind of feels like that's what she wants, and he just wants an answer. Well, you know, Margot knew this was going to happen. She warned Elliot about it and said, just stay away from that. But they're alone on a hike together. <laughs> How is he supposed to keep putting her off? He tries to sidestep the questions. He asks for time. I-, I just need to figure out how to forgive myself. Can't we keep things status quo? But that just puts Josh more on alert. Yeah. Margot would never say that. It gets worse until he finally confronts her, saying something's up. She isn't acting like herself. And until she explains, he's not going to help. He won't take her to the tree. So Elliot has to do something. In a wave of frustration, he says, I'm not sorry. I'd make the same decision again, in fact. Funnily enough, this finally convinces Josh that it is Margot. That's something she would say. He accepts it, and he points her to the right tree. But now Elliot's essentially made that decision. Their relationship's over. Well, yes, but now they can tell Josh that it wasn't really her. They could? I don't know if his feeling's ever going to change, though. No? I feel like he would say, okay, I get it, but I still think you as the actual Margot, that's how you're really feeling, and you just didn't want to tell me. It's just slightly frustrating for me. I can understand why Elliot did that, and maybe that is on some level how Margot feels, but Elliot's also kind of been against this relationship from the beginning. Him and Margot had it out over that. I think he had had enough, and while he didn't really have a choice... I don't know if it's right to take that conversation away from Margot. She still needs to talk to Josh about it. And it is her fault for not doing so for so long. She tells Elliot that later. I've laid the track to blow up this relationship for quite some time. Right. It was already there. But does that mean that's it? We're never going to see the two of them really talk about it? I don't know. I guess I feel like Margot handled the Seb situation a little bit better than Elliot handled the Josh situation. Up until the end. Well, yeah, because she starts out just kind of acting as Margot would. She finds the Dark King in the throne room. The rest of the castle has been struck with a sleeping curse. So she agrees to teach him the cooperative spell that he needs to bring them back. And she's coming on too strong. Charlton tells her this is the way Margot would try to get a guy. But this isn't what's happening between Elliot. This isn't how he would do it. Him and the king are close because they share losses and Seb likes Elliot's vulnerability. So she changes tactics and she really does seem to more channel... How would Elliot respond in this situation? And it works. He opens up, saying he wishes he could give him more, but he has to put Fillory first. This is also what makes Margot confused, because after that interaction, he thinks, well, Seb doesn't really seem like a bad guy. He seems kind and sad. Why is he acting like an evil king? Very soon after, though, the king asks for a private conversation, and Margot thinks this is her opportunity. The signal light turns green, meaning they've severed the conduit, She pulls out the knife, but Seb notices and stops him. The pulling of the knife was so slow. Like, she really didn't want to do it. It was like she wanted him to notice. Yeah. But right there, I felt the same way. I was like, man, maybe he really is good. And he's about to tell him. We're getting mixed up. 
He's about to tell Elliot. Her, right. Who he thinks is Elliot. Mark Elliot. <laughs> yeah. Everything, it seems, right? Mm. Or at least he's about to step down. But she's having the same misgivings that Elliot was when he said, I can't do this mm-hmm. because she's seeing what he saw. And what we're seeing. So it's curious. We know for a fact that the Dark King does care about Fillory and does care about the Philorians. Mm-hmm. We just don't know why. But it's then when he's demanding an explanation that Julia sneaks in from behind and kills him. Or so we think. Switched back to their bodies, Margot is upset that the relationship with Josh is ruined but admits she made those mistakes long ago. She also encourages Elliot that while he has had shitty luck lately, he will find love and shouldn't give up on it. Meanwhile, in the throne room, the king reawakens. Okay, first of all, Elliot, you got a lot of shit going on. Don't worry about finding love right now. I you mean, know, <laughs> is, this, is this the time, Elliot? I, I know you can't control who you're attracted to. Uh, really bad luck that it winds up being this dark king, very complex... I guess I'm struggling with it because he was so in love with Quentin. Yeah. And really hasn't finished grieving over him. And yet it seems he's supposed to be so in love with this Dark King. I initially thought it was more of an attraction, not so much that he loved him. I guess... He's enamored by him. (sighs) How can you love someone if you don't know the true them yet? He doesn't know him at all. So he's infatuated at this point. And I don't blame him. He's a good-looking dude. He's the king. He's mysterious. But now we got problems. Now he is reawakened, and he's not going to be Mr. Nice King anymore. Uh, you're not going to be a confidant. You're probably all going to be thrown in jail if you're lucky. To be alive. For trying to assassinate him. Here's the thing, though. He doesn't know Julia from a hole in the wall and didn't see her when she snuck up behind him. If she gets out of this picture right now, she's still off the radar. Her and Fen. Nobody has any idea they were involved in this. That's right. So we're really talking about Margot and Elliot. So if you were any of them, you'd say, Margot and Elliot, you're on your own? No, (laughs) let him take you down to the cells and then we'll break you out because nobody knows we're here or tied to you. But I am intrigued because now we're going to see the dark side of the king. And maybe now we'll start to understand both sides of the king. And maybe we'll learn why he is basically immortal. Yeah, I think we're going to have to. There's a few things we have to remember. The dark king lost someone he loved. And I think that has to do with this deal he made long ago. And I think that's going to be pivotal. And we do know, if I remember correctly, in the woods, the first time we meet him, that both of his parents are humans. That's why we're saying maybe he's the baby of Quentin. And now I'm sure we're going to get some people saying maybe he's the baby of Julia that Hmm. was brought into the past. I mean, with some time trickery. That's going to be a lot of time. He hasn't met Julia. Explanations. Huh. I'm just throwing it out there. I have no grounds to think that way. And it might not even go that route about who he's the baby of. That might not be important. I think for sure what's important is the the one he lost and the deal he made. Mm-hmm. We have to find out what that is and, and why. why. What gave him his power. Yeah. Um, did he make a deal with an old god? Because we've seen how well that turns out when yeah. our magicians have tried to do so. And then they get themselves stuck in this situation. I made a deal with Ember and Ember. Because I wanted to help save Fillory, but it turns out Ember and Ember are assholes. <laughs> you know, I could kind of see that being a factor. But let's wrap this up for now by giving our rating. On a scale of 1 to 10 surges, Jason, what do you give episode 8? For this episode, I'm going to go 7.9 surges. We learned a little bit more about the Dark King. We had some uh, fantastic horror-type adventures back on Earth. All in all, it was a pretty fun episode. I agree. I enjoyed it more than last episode. I'm still confused about how some things are going to work together, but I like the potential for the future. So I am also going to give it a 7.9 surges. So now let's move on to our Clatchers, where every week via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers, who is your MVM and what are your thoughts on this episode? This week we gave you groupings again. Alice and Hamish, Elliot and Margot, Julia and Fenn. Coming in in last place... Julia and Fenn with 9.9%. That makes sense. We had some really good scenes with them. We had some great Fenn scenes specifically. And of course, Julia was the one to kill, but not kill, Mm -hmm. the king. But essentially saved Elliot, Mark Elliot, because the king had him. Well, maybe. Where was the king going to go with that conversation is the question. Was he going to be understanding? Because it it kind of seemed like that. Like, Elliot, why did you do this? But at the same time... I kind of understand why you felt like you had to do this. 
Well, Mark Elliott was about to tell him who she was, which would have made them trapped in each other's bodies. That would have been a bad exactly. situation. So they were pivotal, but they were more supportive. And you only just opened up this conversation, the story with Julia. I think that's going to be bigger as the episodes go by. Coming in second place with 17.3% were Alice and Hamish. Again, really fun scenes. I love seeing them play off of each other. They learned a lot in regards to Quentin's drawing. And now we have another goal and another possible uh, enemy or two enemies, the couple. Yeah, whoever in the heck that is. And lastly, in first place is Elliot and Margot with 72.8%. Although in the end, they may have made a grave mistake. <laughs> they worked well in each other instead of with each other. Get it? I mean, their, their plans <laughs> are always kind of half-baked, especially when they get together. I mean, it's really hard not to vote for Margot and Elliot every single time they're up there. Especially this season. This is definitely their season. They're so interesting to watch. So let's see what the Clatchers had to say about it. Brian C. says, I'm glad everyone forgot to check to see if the Dark King's death was permanent. Uh, yeah, we mentioned that. Was he just kind of lying there in the middle of the throne room? They had to get out. Body being Apparently. ignored? I don't know. Uh, I'm still rooting for the Dark King to be misunderstood and not as evil as he appears. Us too, Brian. Us too. Bert says, I'm giving this one to Elliot and Margot for Summer Bischel and Hale Appleman's performances in the episode. I should probably give it to Alice and Hamish for moving the plot forward. But did you see how Hale Appleman's eyes had the same expression as Margot's? Nailed it. Be Nice says, all of the above? Are we allowed to do that? Fenn and Julia were an interesting pairing and played well off each other. Fenn being so nonchalant about abortion seemed a little disingenuous at first, after having gone through her own pregnancy. But she made it clear to Julia that this was a choice of how her body would be used. That was a reoccurring theme for Julia, with Reynard first then Penny taking away her magic. Loved the connection of Hamish and Alice. It harkened back to the beginning of Quentin and Alice slowly finding common ground. Would totally follow Alice in a zombie spore apocalypse. <laughs> but once again, the superb acting of Bishel and Appleman got my vote. They got to view each other's struggles about situations that seemed quite different on the surface through the lens of unspoken emotion. It softened Margot's edges of what seemed like a direct course of action and allowed Elliot to see Josh as someone who truly cares for Margot, his Bambi. Elliot found the strength to ovary up and save Margot. And did they really think this first idea would actually work? I mean, have they seen the show? <laughs> well said. You know, that does bring up something I forgot to talk about. We can't forget that Julia has been pregnant and the circumstances were dire. She was raped by a god and was having a baby. So this has got to be, one, it's an unexpected pregnancy, pregnancy with someone you just broke up with. And two... Going off of what she's already been through, this is a hard time for her. Well, that's kind of what she's explaining to Fen. But Fen being the right person, she says, you know, I've been through my own traumatic experiences. And just like Be Nice says, this wasn't her being brash about the abortion. It was her just telling Julia, you have choices. Whichever route you decide to go is okay, but it seems like you haven't made that choice. Like you don't know what you want. And that's exactly what Julia says she is going through. Sherry Ava says, it's a tough call this week between the pairing of Freaky Friday Elliot and Margot or Alice and Hamish. Elliot and Margot are my first pick because they took on the emotionally difficult tasks of dealing with situations close to the heart while protecting each other loyally. Alice also dealt with heartfelt emotions while exploring Quentin's secrets. Hamish finally makes a connection with her discussing feelings of emptiness after the loss of a loved one. The big reveal of the couple and the world seed means break Bill's problems are expanding. <laughs> Seems like it. Sarah said, I voted Alice and Hamish because I think they really accomplished something while Elliot, Margot, and Julia did not. I think Elliot could have made the Dark King open up more, but now that seems unlikely. Mm. Also, yay, the pregnant bunny is back. <laughs> That's what you said. If given a little more time, would it have been better for Elliot to just try to talk to him? Yeah. And this has kind of ruined that chance. Todd says, I got a big kick out of Hale and Summer playing each other. I don't know who had a bigger blast, them or me watching them. <laughs> the Viking agrees, saying Hale Appleman and Summer Bischel's Freaky Friday performance was the stuff of legends. They nailed each other's mannerisms. And Summer Bischel replied with a heart. Well, I hope she sees that she has jointly taken home the MVM this week. Absolutely. Her and Elliot. Well, if she doesn't, we will tweet it out with our graphic later on mm -hmm. this week. 
Trees and Snow says, my vote goes to Alice and Hamish, who are clever together and really solve something. I love Elliot and Margot, but feel they rushed to judgment re the Dark King. Yeah, and that kind of goes along with our question of who progressed the plotline forward most each week. Nicholas Thomas also agreeing with that thought that it was Alice and Hamish who solved something about Q's paper, as well as ridding the zombie fungi. So his vote goes to them. And Rashandal's also going with Alice and Hamish only because the Dark King didn't stay dead. So the couple is the evil coming to Fillory? Perhaps. Perhaps. One, one of. There's <laughs> a lot of evils or enemies happening. Well, for all of those reasons, I am also going to give it to Alice and Hamish. I think the pairing on screen is brilliant. Margot and Elliot is, but they always are. And I've yeah. given it to them a lot. Um, this is something novel. There also is emotional resonance, as we said, them connecting over shared loss. But in addition to advancing the plot line forward, getting the fungal situation resolved, finding out about this world seed, I think that's going to continue to be really interesting. And I as well am going Alice and Hamish. On to Clatcher's comments, we got two emails this week sent to contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. The first one from Jennifer, who says, In listening to the previous episode summary, I had a thought about the whales. The line they have about Margot having an awful demeanor felt so very current to me. Margot is a talisman of righteous anger, and the entire season has had an undercurrent of misogyny. Women all over are used to being told to stop being hysterical or don't get emotional when we barely raise our voices. This is what the whales represented to me. On a related note, has anyone else noticed Elliot has now twice this season stepped in at the end of a problem and gotten all the credit for solving it? Hmm. I mean, Margot even acts like she did nothing when they were trying to save Josh and the other Florians, even though she did 99% of the work. Now he barely stumbles into the moon solution and really only because Margot wasn't nice enough for the whales to listen to her? Oh man, I'm getting angry because it's too much like our own world. Thank goodness Hale knows how to play Elliot as a lovable trash fire. <laughs> I mean, it is a good point. She keeps coming up with these ideas behind the scenes of how they're going to solve things. But I don't know if it's as much Elliot getting all the credit for it as it's the two of them working together as a team. Very often they need something that the other one has. And if they were to try to go it alone, maybe they wouldn't get to the solution. I think that's what the two of them are figuring out amongst their relationship together. In this episode, taken to the extreme of they even need to walk a mile in each other's shoes to really get what it's like to be them. Maybe this forges a connection between them that's stronger than most people in their friendships. And then Todd wrote in to say, with only five episodes left, I'm wondering how you're feeling about this season as a whole. While there have definitely been moments I've enjoyed, including Hale Appleman's turn as Margot and vice versa with Summer Bischel, I feel the season has been rather disjointed and unfocused. It seems to lack the overall theme that each of the four seasons were held together. The Beast, the Quest, the Library. Katie's storyline with the Hedges seems to have fallen off the radar, and the other characters are scattered all over the map on separate journeys. As you may know, ratings for this season have fallen off a bit. Um, he's wondering if this is a byproduct of some people just being really upset that we lost Quentin last season. Um, but he's worried about where this is going to leave the show in the future. And again, I'm just going to say I can't really say anything more because I'm going to be spoiling it. But yeah. I had no idea where they were going either until around the end of last episode, this episode. And now I'm starting to see there might be a big picture that really ties everything together very well. Oh, nice. And I know if you haven't read the books, that's probably not going to be evident. Now, how are they going to get there? Is that going to be satisfying? Do they have enough time to do it justice? I'm not sure. I guess we have to wait and see. But I do agree that it has felt at times this season where there was so much going on, especially doing a podcast about it and taking notes and trying to come up with a at least sounding smart idea of what's going on. It can get hard, but I am enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying the magic and I have faith in these writers. And also with the thought that this might be the last season. Now we haven't talked about this because we didn't want to bring it into the universe, but normally by this time, every season sci-fi announces that they've been greenlit. Now that could just be coming later than it typically does. And I'm hoping so. Or oh. it could be that this is the wrap-up, and this was done by the writers as well. Like, they were saying this is it. Or not. We don't know. With that in mind, I'm just going to enjoy the ride while we have it. Well, Jason, as you would like to remain unspoiled, 
and everybody else would like to remain unspoiled, we are going to not get into our closer look this week. But we are going to go to our spoilers for the next upcoming episode. So if you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we review episode nine. But if you aren't staying tuned for the spoilers, thanks for joining us. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, to give us a rate and review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at CKC Podcast, Facebook, Instagram. They're both under Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast. And check us out over at Patreon. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. We have a huge website there. It's growing. And while you're there, you can click on Patreon. There are three different tiers available for you to join. The Coffee Break episode, the bonus episode, or the movie reviews. Now, the movies are particularly exciting because... This past month, we just continued our Harry Potter coverage with Year 5, The Order of the Phoenix. And next month, we can make the official announcement, we will be covering A Quiet Place Part 2. Now, of course, we covered A Quiet Place Part 1, so we have to do the follow-up. The previews have got me excited about that. I hope it lives up to the hype. Well, so last, we're going to move into our spoiler section. We know that the next episode, Episode 9, is called Cello Squirrel Daffodil, which tells us... Absolutely nothing. Squirrel. The synopsis, as usual, also tells us nothing. It says Penny only wears vintage and Alice rejects a sandwich. Now, the only time we've heard talk about a sandwich before is the time clock dwarf. So I'm wondering if she somehow comes into contact with him, but she's been on Earth prior to now. So what would she be doing in Fillory? Well, she was in Fillory with Elliot. She was, and I guess she could go back, but right now she's been kind of consumed with what's going on with Hamish backs and mm. stuff at break bills. And sandwich could mean something else entirely. I have no idea. Um, in the actual preview, the clip that we see, they say Fillory can never be free so long as the Dark King reigns. And he looks pissed off, people. I mean, someone just tried to kill him. I think I'd probably be pissed too. <laughs> so let the adventure continue. Thank you so much, Clatchers, for joining us on this magical ride. And keep an eye out on our social media for more comments and announcements. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.